serious CBD. The best CBD products on the planet. Over 100 five-star reviews. Can verify authentication. Gold in full spectrum. Full panel lab tested. What is full panel lab testing? Cannabinoids and terpenes. Pesticides. Mycotoxins. Solvents. Heavy metals. Microbials. Foreign matter. Get serious. Serious CBD. Mike Lindell and due to your incredible support the original my slippers are almost completely sold out as a special thank you I am launching my brand new all-season slippers slides and sandals for as low as $29.98 this is a limited time offer so go to mypillow.com or call the number on your screen use your promo code and you'll get all my new footwear for as low as $29.98 My all-season slippers are made with my exclusive four-layer design that you won't find in any other slipper. They're finished with a breathable fabric so you can wear them all year round. And my new slides and sandals are made with patented impact gel, making them ultra comfortable and extremely durable. I guarantee they'll be the most comfortable footwear you'll ever own. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen now to get your very own all-season slippers, slides, and sandals for as low as $29.98 with your promo code. This is an introductory offer and it won't last long, so order now. was in place many people died and never saw this day so another day i live i appreciate don't ever wanna act too high and mighty cause tomorrow i can fall down on my face so in everything lord i give you praise and that puts a smile on my face lord i thank you for sunshine thank you for rain thank you for joy Thank you for playing, it's a beautiful day, beautiful day, it's a beautiful day, yeah. Don't us invite, let us unite, up our lives and let's go. It's a beautiful day, yeah, it's a beautiful day. So hey, go I walk through the valleys of the shadows of death. Tick, 
Disappointment comes with a lesson. It's for me to get wiser. Got to work harder. In the end, it will get better. Lord, I thank you for sunshine. Thank you for rain. Thank you for joy. Thank you for pain. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. Please don't forget. show Freedom Gardens. I am so excited to get started on this. So whew, I love that song. We have played a clip of the uh, the mix up of that song, the remix. And I'll actually play it again at the end of the show. We played it on the Patriot Party podcast before. It's fantastic. But anyway, Freedom Gardens. So y'all know that about a year ago now, we moved to a new place, sold our house, on a little island off the coast of Savannah and moved an hour south, got three acres um, with a big pond and a pool and all kinds of land to garden, lots of trees, um, big side yard. And uh, I've always done container gardening before. I've never really had a big garden. So I started last year, uh, started with a spring garden, built these really cool small garden beds out of concrete blocks and had local landscaping company bring me a uh, three yards of compost and threw them in there and well, grew some decent vegetables. Wasn't too bad. Lots of tomatoes, um, basil, you know, enough to get us through the summer, but wasn't as much as I wanted. And then of course we ended up getting a, I, I was a little behind, so I didn't get my fall garden in quite as early as I wanted to, but Mick did till the other side of the garden next to the chicken coop for me. Um, so I put some rows of vegetables in there and, you know, harvested a whole row of carrots the other day that Annie promptly ate off my counter. She really enjoyed them. And, uh, 
I still have some stuff growing in there, broccoli and celery and some another row of carrots that I'll be harvesting in the next couple of weeks. And then we'll retail that and, and get going. But I always found, I, I look around at other people's gardens, like, you know, online and watching shows and they're so lush and full and like, there's no wasted space. And whenever I plant things based on, you know, what the seed packet says or, or uh, what the spacing says, there's so much wasted space. I, I really need to put something else there. But of course, you know, I'm afraid like, you know, the roots are going to get messed up or they're, they're going to fight for nutrients or water and, and they're not going to grow as well. So I started doing research and I found some really interesting things, uh, something called intercropping, which goes along with companion planting, which I already done companion planting and don't fall too deep down into companion planting. I'll tell you that because, uh, while there are plants that do specifically well together and plants that specifically don't do well together because they do fight for nutrients or, you know, some herbs will keep bugs away from some plants, things like that. Um, you know, most plants you can plant close to each other unless they're big space hogs and, uh, and, and do pretty well. So that was pretty cool with companion planting. Um, but I, I wanted to use more space. So then I found something called high density gardening. And I was like, man, so I'm going to combine intercropping and companion planting with high density gardening this year and see what we get. So I have two separate gardens. Actually, I have a lot more than that, a lot more space I can use, but I have two fenced in areas for gardens. Uh, one that is 21 feet by 18 feet. And then the other that's 18 feet by 15 feet. So uh, we're going to till the whole thing out in the next couple of weeks and start planting. But I've I got to get organized. Um, so I really have to, I have to do research, have to plan the garden. And I figured if I'm doing it, I might as well share it with y'all. So this will be my first real foray into homestead farming, gardening, I guess you'd call it. And we're going to see what happens. And we're also going to use uh, electroculture. So uh, copper wire to pull energy out of the ether and make the plants grow bigger and stronger. So that's going to be a lot of fun too. Uh, but to get started, I'm going to show you a little bit of what my garden looks like, where one side of the garden looks like right now. Um, this is when I planted it in the fall. So there we go. So our fall gardens are really coming along here. These cucumbers are doing amazing. Now everything in these pallets died and I'm not sure why I have to replant them except for that pea right there that did fine but you can see our carrots are coming along We've got tomatoes and this basil here is crazy I'm gonna have to cut that back here soon and this tomato is doing well. These carrots are doing great. Another different type of tomato there. And we've got some onions coming up here. And then our Brussels sprouts, celery, and then dill there. And we've got some stuff coming up in between as well some lettuces and cilantro over there. 
So I spent the morning actually getting all the leaves out of this, raking it out very gently with a very small rake and building up around the roots. If there are any roots exposed, putting a little extra dirt around it. Well, compost actually. And then I fertilized it with the water from the duck pool before I cleaned it out. <sighs> Got more carrots coming up here. Got broccoli there. Some of the broccoli died as well. Like this one. I'm gonna pull that out. See? Well, maybe not because the roots still there. Think good. It's just the top set. We'll see if that comes back. Probably not. There we go. This is doing nice. And then these as well. These are doing great. Now we're supposed to get a big cold snap over the next few days. So I'll probably have to put the freeze blankets on. We'll see, especially the stuff that's just coming up because those aren't really strong enough to survive the cold temperatures right now. They prefer a good 72 degrees. I planted cold weather stuff, but still can't get too cold. All right. our fall gardens. Looking good. So you see what I mean about the wasted space. Um, and that hard freeze killed the tomatoes, even though I covered them, it didn't matter. But just want to use more space. So my plan is um, I'm actually going to take these pallets down and I'm going to plant uh, sunflowers because that gets great sun. There's obviously trees back here and then trees on the other side as well, uh, or one or two trees on the other side. So uh, I'm going to take these pallets out and I'm going to put sunflowers there um, and some other flowers for the chickens. Um, but then we have all this space to use. And then there's another space on the other side as well that I've got to use. So... Um, CLB, my neighbors are, uh, well, the ones across the street moved out because they weren't big fans, but everyone else actually is really cool. And I checked with them. The chickens don't bother them at all. Chickens really don't make a whole lot of noise if they're entertained, happy, you know, have things to do and not fight with each other. Um, the guineas are loud, but I actually checked with my neighbors before I got the guineas and told them, you know, look, I lost the whole flock of chickens. I really need something to protect them. So, uh, yeah. So I got the guineas. They were all fine with it. Actually, one of them was like, yeah, I actually raised guineas as a kid. I, I, I missed the sounds. No problem. They're annoying. They're loud, but they do keep the neighbor's cats away, which was some of what killed my first flock of chickens, along with raccoons and a local fox. So 
yeah, sunflowers are great. Marigolds are great. Um, Nasturtium is great as well. Raspberries and blackberries. Uh, on the backside of the chicken coop, I'm gonna I'm planting raspberries and blackberries. Hey, Lindsay. And uh, yeah, so anyway, that's gonna be a lot of fun. So let's learn a little bit about intercropping because I had no idea what this was, but basically it's planting multiple crops in one bed. Um, now I'm planting directly into the ground, but I am going to put, I have a whole bunch of tiles, uh, just random boxes of tiles because I do a lot of painting projects too. Um, so I'm going to put tiles down as my rows in between, but I'm going to till the whole thing first so that I have the space and um, I'm not just relegated to the rows that I till. I can, you know, move them around as needed. So let's learn a little bit about intercropping. So intercropping is growing two or more crops together to improve yield and efficiency. Why intercrop? Intercropping is potentially really good um, for optimizing uh, resource use. Um, so you can get greater yields uh, from the intercrop than if you were growing the sole crops on their own. Um, there's potential for improved uh, soil uh, benefits, particularly if you're using a legume where you've got things like nitrogen fixation and perhaps different rooting patterns can help the soil structure. Um, and you also tend to get a, an improvement in terms of competition, uh, whether it's with diseases, because you get physical breaks um, between susceptible crops. Um, and also you can improve uh, weed uh, suppression as well if you're growing it on a, a very low input uh, approach. So how do you evaluate success? A more practical way maybe on farm are some um, some more sort of just single point measurements. So you might be interested in, for example, the soil structure, which intercrops can improve. So simply just turning a spade of soil over, looking at how crumbly the soil is, whether there are more worms, that type of thing could give you information on the soil impacts. Looking at yields, disease levels, things like that in the above ground parts of your crop and some of Mike's experience. Behind me is one of our first trial, which we're doing with the Hutton Institute. And we're growing um, mainly oats, but also an intercrop, which is oat and pea mix. The, uh, the reason we're doing it is that we've been growing vegetables on the island and Lismore is known as being quite a fertile place. Um, and one of the things we're lacking really is a, a grain crop. Uh, which we would want for our own consumption, but also we have uh, 50 to 60 hens, rescue hens, which we spend a lot of money on feed at the moment. So if we can produce our own feed, that would also be useful. So how do you intercrop? The first thing we need to decide is what crops we're going to sow as intercrops. It's common to sow cereals along with a clover, or cereals and peas, a legume or beans with wheat or beans with oats even. Once we've decided what crops we're going to sow, then we decided we need to decide if we're going to sow them simultaneously or independently. 
soil preparation. Along with a historic knowledge of previous cropping, we would first start with a soil analysis, including pH, and we would amend that by liming or by putting NP and K on, bearing in mind that if we're going to use a legume in our intercropping, that we would potentially use much less nitrogen than we a standard monoculture. Sowing. What we use is this Amazon power harrow drill combination where we can actually put fer place fertilizer along. Yeah, obviously I'm not using that. And the seeds placed in the ground using these disc coulters. But that's just one example. We can sow one of the monocultures and then broadcast the other uh, intercrop afterwards. Crop protection. With intercropping, it's been reported that there's a reduced pressure on pest, disease and weed problems in the crop compared with a monoculture. However, I expect plant protection products to be required to grow a companion crop. Possibly at a reduced rate or certainly at a reduced frequency. However, it's really important that you pay attention to what um, plant protection products you're going to use. Not all products will be compatible with both crops. Harvest. Harvest operations could happen in a very similar way, particularly with whole crop. It would be cut, baled and wrapped or ensiled in a pit in exactly the same way as it was a monocle. Where it's different is in a combinable crop operation, where timing is really crucial and there's likely to be a compromise made because the weather or the growing season will have affected each of the crops in a different way. But the combine will harvest the crop in the usual way, but later, after the harvest operation, the seed will need to be separated in a grain dresser or a separating process afterwards. So, there's lots of information about innovations and practical guidance coming out of intercropping research projects such as Diversify and Remix. And you can visit those project websites to get inspiration about intercropping and your own intercropping ideas. All right. So obviously, uh, we're not in the UK and we're not growing those crops and we're not growing them on a large scale, but it does give you an outline, which I liked about the processes that you need to go through. So soil preparation, I talked about us tilling the soil. And in fact, when I harvest the, the next of the crops and I actually take down the uh, concrete block beds that I put up, except for one in the back um, that I'm gonna leave as an herb bed, uh, I'm gonna let the chickens loose for a couple of days maybe a week and let them eat up all the, the bugs and uh, the roots that are still in there. And they'll do a lot to actually turn the soil. And while they're doing that, I'm going to take all the, and this is all by hand, dig all the mud and compost and poop and stuff out of the chicken enclosure while they're out in the garden and put it in the garden. Um, chicken poop is a good fertilizer, but it's a hot fertilizer. So you can't put it directly on top of your plants or it will kill them, it'll burn them. Um, so you can cure chicken poop for six months, like you can put it in a pile, put it in your compost pile and leave it for, if in the summer, it'll cure in as little as six weeks. In the winter, you know, it'll cure all over the winter. Um, or do what I do and you just 
you know, pull it out at the beginning of the season, put it in your, your garden, till it down, and then throw a layer of compost over it so it doesn't burn your plants. If you don't have chickens, any poop, except for human poop, don't poop in your garden, um, is, is good poop, honestly. So uh, most, most poop is um, hot, but there's some that's, that's not. You just have to look at it. Uh, the ducks actually is great, great fertilizer. And that is uh, not hot fertilizer. So that, that works really well. Um, looks like way more work than it's worth. You can always make sure dirt's from bed to bed. This is true, Liana, and, and I will. So, uh, but yeah, the, the chickens do, they scratch and they dig and they, they loosen the soil. So I'm going to let them out before I till it. Um, and then I'll, I'll till it and then I'll let them out again and pull all the, the dirt from their coop, all the mud from their coop out into the garden and then till it again and then put compost down and then start planting. So building the garden is probably the, going to be the most labor intensive part of it, but that's okay because it's really good work. In fact, I'm going to do uh, a boot camp with my my best friend's son who wants to get into shape, and you're going to meet her next week. Uh, she's going to be with us next week. Um, we're going to talk about. Uh, well, I'm going to introduce you to all. Introduce you you all to her. You're going to get to know her a bit. So we'll talk a bit about her struggles. But right now. Let's talk some more about this. So intercropping with plants we're actually going to plant and in ways that we can. Hey, Farm and Garden friends. If you've been following along, this is the fourth video in the series and by far my favorite way to maximize space in the market garden. If you haven't been following along, check out that playlist and make sure you hit the subscribe button. But we are talking about companion planting, otherwise called intercropping or interplanting. They all mean the same darn thing. It's just planting different vegetables, different crops down the same bed that will grow well together. So today I'm going to take you along, show you a few examples of what we do here on the farm and see if you can guess my top three favorite vegetables to use as a companion plant and stick around to the end and I will share my secret to making this whole process extremely simple. So let's check it out. Now in this first bed, this is a good example. We've got our pickling cucumbers they're gonna grow up this trellis line, but we also have some bunching onions that we direct seeded at the same time, and those are just about ready to be pulled out. And what you can't see is we already harvested a batch of uh, radishes that we direct seeded down the middle of this these staggered two rows of cucumbers, and that worked great. Uh, they're a 30-day crop, so we were able to grow them and harvest them while these cucumbers were just getting started. So those worked very well as a companion. So there are a ton of benefits to companion planting, but today we want to focus on utilizing the space in our bed so we can maximize the productivity because we are working on limited space. You know, we're not, we're not working a five or 10 acre field. So all of our beds here are 30 inches wide by 50 feet long. 
And right here is a great example. So you can see our pepper plants. Now typically you may just run one row or two staggered row of peppers down the bed. But there really is no reason not to use the other parts of that bed. So you can see while my pepper plants are growing, we have some more bunching onions down here, which are looking great. And those will come out in the next week or two. And we've got some parsnips growing. So those are ready to come out as well. Pretty soon it will be just the pepper plants. And I may go ahead and do another round of uh, bunching onions or radishes or something along those lines um, down the edge so I can utilize that space again, more or less flipping half of the bed. All right, so this bed is a great example. This is originally, it's what we're calling our sweet pepper bed. Okay, we've got pepper plants running all the way down the middle. But as companion plants, we interplanted celery, which is doing beautiful, and bunching onions all the way down. And they're all looking very healthy and really, really utilizing the space in the bed. As we come down here, you can see we planted some beets, and those are looking really good. Those are about ready to come out as well. Just a beautiful example of interplanting. Another example is our kohlrabi, and we direct seeded a row of spinach, actually two rows of spinach, down the sides. And those did really well. We've actually pulled most of the spinach out, used it, just left a little bit left there to harvest. Those two worked very well together as well. Let's see what else we have. So we have carrots that went in with eggplants. So these eggplants will stay in a lot longer than the carrots will. So another good use of space. The staggered, I did two rows of eggplants, planting them 24 inches apart and then staggered them. So there's essentially an eggplant every foot heading down the bed, but the carrots going down the middle are doing just beautiful. Another great example. All right, so another good example is the carrots interplanted with the melons and here we had radishes that we have already harvested that we had planted the same time we direct seeded the melons knowing again that they would come out before we needed the space for the melon plants so that's working fantastic let's see what else we got all right guys so this is another one of my favorites first time using the pole bean structure so i'm pretty geeked about that pole the beans are growing they're about ready to start running up this but if you look down the middle here, we have got some more radishes growing. Delectable little buggers. So as you can see, 
I love planting radishes wherever I can because they're a quick 30-day crop. We can kind of have them most of the time throughout the season. But that, they're going really, really well with the beans. So we've got our broccoli growing. That's doing well. You can see our carrots are doing well in here as well. So I've got to wait for those to get a little bit bigger before I can come through and weed. If I was to come through and try to weed all this stuff out right now, it'd pull the baby carrots up. So, so I've just got to deal with that in the meantime. But the carrots are doing well. As well as, let's see, our spinach. So that spinach coming up all the way down through there. I should be able to get in here this week and get this weeded out. Well, my spinach is probably big enough. I want to jump over here and see. We've got cucumbers. These are slicer cucumbers that will be climbing up this 50 foot bed. But you can see we have radishes. <laughs> We've got some more radishes planted on that side and on this side see them we've got some baby carrots we've got carrots down one side radishes down the other on the edge of the cucumbers and those are those are a great fit all right guys so i think you can see just how much space would be wasted if we were just have peppers running down the middle of that bed i see it all the time and it's really not necessary celery peppers onions all doing fantastic, growing three times the amount of food. So no reason not to interplant, and it really does not have to be that difficult. Now, just like I promised, my top three, I'll give you my top four favorite vegetables to interplant or companion plant with, and that will be radishes, bunching onions, carrots, and lettuce. All right, guys, like I promised, my secret to keeping this whole companion planting thing simple is just memorize all the different varieties of vegetables and variables and what could go together. <laughs> Not really. My secret to keeping all this simple is this right here. It's Google, guys. It's literally this simple. When I'm out planting, say, I'm going to do kohlrabi, and I know that's what I want in that bed. While I'm out planting kohlrabi, I will literally pull this out. Is spinach a good companion plant for kohlrabi? According to West Coast Seeds, spinach, a good companion for brassicas, eggplants, leeks, lettuce, peas, radish, and strawberries particularly. Don't plant spinach near potatoes. That's the secret, guys. So kohlrabi is a brassica. Spinach is a great companion for it. I do the same thing with everything that I plant. I don't I don't memorize any of it. Now, obviously, you do it enough, you're going to learn what goes with what. But honestly, that's how I keep it simple, so I don't have to waste any time thinking about it. When I'm out here planting something, I pull my phone out, and I literally ask it. So by far, this is my absolute favorite way to maximize space in the market garden or on the homestead, and that is through companion planting, intercropping, interplanting, whatever term you want to use, mashing different varieties together in the same bed. So hopefully you've enjoyed this. If you haven't checked out the other videos in the series, go ahead and check them out and I'll see you guys in the next one. Yeah!
All right. So that's what I want my beds to look like. I'm, I, I'm not going to have, you know, huge structures above. Um, although I am going to get a whole bunch of uh, one by one by eight foot stakes, poles, basically, um, wooden, wooden poles to both have cucumbers and tomatoes and peppers staked up and put the copper wire up it as well. So anyway, that's my plan. Uh, most of my squash, cucumbers, that kind of thing, climbing, vining plants are going to go along the fence, along the outside of the garden that's already fenced in. Um, and uh, then we'll put the other stuff on the inside. Uh, Leanna said, it seems like that would keep the smaller plants from getting light. So in some circumstances, that's kind of actually what you want, like with carrots, um, because carrots are... Uh, or root vegetables, you don't want the leaves to get huge. The The carrot will concentrate on growing the leaves if it gets too much light instead of growing the root. So it's going to grow whatever is the easiest part of it to grow. Um, if it gets a whole bunch of sunlight, then it's going to grow a whole bunch of leaves and then your carrots are going to be smaller. If you put plants that grow up around it and give it more shade, then it's going to grow down because that's the easiest place for it to grow because um, it's getting all the nutrients. Carrots, you do want to deep water though because um, if they, uh, if you don't deep water carrots and then let them dry out and then deep water them again, they're only going to grow to where they find water. So if you only water two or three inches down, your carrots are only going to grow two or three inches long because they're going to stop when they hit the end of that water. Um, should I point the bottoms of the stakes before I put them in the ground to keep them from rotting out to extend their life stands? Oh, paint the bottom of the stakes. That's an excellent idea. Um, yeah, and I have a... Uh, um, <laughs> teak oil, actually, that I'd probably um, just dip them in. That's what I used to, uh, because my whole chicken enclosure is wood, um, especially the door. That's what I used for, to keep it from warping. What is that? Teak oil. Uh, so yeah, that's, thanks Ellsworth. That's an excellent idea. I'll dip the bottoms of those steaks in teak oil so that when I move them, I can pull them out and, you know, they're, they're still in good shape. So anyway, so let's see what we got next. All right, so I found this awesome channel called MI Gardener, okay? And um, actually, I, I think the video I liked of theirs the most, and it's a big channel. There's they, they have lots of different, or a couple different people that do the videos, or maybe it's changed over the years. They've been on for at least five years, and a lot of the videos that I found are, are like five, some were two or three years old, and some would go back as far as five years old. Um, but one of the most recent ones that they did, if you guys have seen on Instagram, those, uh, those like gardening hack videos. So he did it like dissecting the gardening hack videos and some of the stuff was, you know, good gardening hacks. And some of it was like, all right, this is just stupid. This is just ridiculous. And one of them, he was like, oh, he's grown devil's lettuce. Okay. That works for that, but not for anything else. <laughs> Obviously he was growing weed. So it was pretty funny. Um, but anyhow, so they did a great video on intercropping ideas and I took a bunch of notes for, as I did in the last one as well, uh, for plants that I want to plant together. So here we go. What is going on everyone? Welcome to another very exciting episode right here on the MI Gardener channel. 
In today's episode, we're going to be talking all about intercropping. Why I love it, what is it, some good intercropping combinations, and some not so good intercropping combinations. The first part that I want to address is what is intercropping? Intercropping, for those of you that have never heard this term before, intercropping is the act of planting two or more different types of plants in a given space. This could be things like basil and tomatoes, which is probably one you've heard of. It could be things like cucumbers and lettuce, which is one you probably haven't heard of, and we'll talk about that. It could also be something like this small little arugula and this taller Swiss chard, which is probably another combination you might not have heard of before, but we use with great success here in our garden. Those are two different crops planted in the same space. Or it could be something even as extreme as all of your Mediterranean plants. It could be like your fig plants, your tarragon, your sage, your uh, oregano, your rosemary, your thyme, your basil, your parsley, all of the plants that really don't mind being in a little bit of drought, being in drier conditions, being in more arid environments. Those crops all do well together. So you could plant all of those together in a intercropping method. So now that we touched on what is intercropping and why I love it so much, I wanted to give you some more specific benefits of intercropping because I think a lot of you have heard of the term of intercropping, but don't really know, you know how you can apply it or where the benefits really can be seen. I mean, yes, you can grow more food in less space. And yes, you can grow higher quality produce, but give me some examples. A lot of you like examples, and so that's what I'm going to do. The first one is one that we're sitting by, and that is our arugula and our Swiss chard. This is a great intercropping method, and it combines smaller plants with taller plants, but of the same kind of a same food group, if you will. These are both leafy greens, but they're not the same in that their growth habits are totally different. Arugula is a very small plant. Swiss chard is a very tall plant. Swiss chard is very heat tolerant, drought tolerant. It's just a, it's a beast of a plant. You really can't kill it. It's very difficult. Whereas with arugula, it does not like the heat. It does not like the drought. It goes to seed very fast and uh, it matures very quickly. And so what we did was we actually combined the shorter arugula with the taller Swiss chard. And how we did that is we actually spaced them out. We planted them in blocks, but we planted them in a way that as the Swiss chard grew, it actually shaded and protected the arugula from the hot summer sun. It also gave us some protection that as we let, once we let some plants go to seed, we let some arugula plants go to seed and drop their seed. The seeds then sat on this bare soil surface. They got watered and over time they germinated. But at the time that they germinated, it was right during the, the hottest part of summer, right during the dog days of summer. And normally if something sprouts, especially a cool loving plant like arugula, if it sprouts, it'll pretty much bolt immediately or it just will be completely unpalatable and really undesirable. But with the intercropping combination of additional protection from the second crop, not even the first crop, mind you, but the second crop, it allowed the young seedlings protection from the sun as well. It allowed the seedlings enough time to grow and mature until the season got cooler to where they no longer really need the protection because it's much cooler during the day. And they're growing just fine. They're growing stress-free and to prove that they're not totally unpalatable and you know disgusting like greens normally get during the summer, I'll show you. They are so incredibly buttery. They're not peppery at all. They're super sweet. And they're just, I mean, they're incredible. They're one of our favorite greens to harvest right now in the garden. And that's all thanks to the Swiss chard. 
Now, another wonderful intercropping combination that we use here in the garden is any brassica with any herb. And the reason why these go so well together is because herbs offer protection from cabbage moths. Cabbage moths are something that plague any brassica plant, whether it's a broccoli, a cauliflower, kale, or cabbage. And the reason why is because cabbage moths will hone in on the scent of a brassica. And like I said, it can be any brassica. It can even be Brussels sprouts or collard greens. And what they do is they'll lay their eggs on the underside of the leaves. And when they hatch, these little green inchworms come out and they absolutely decimate, absolutely decimate your plants. They'll leave your plants filled with holes, if not completely bare, right down to the veins of the leaves. And so what you wanna do is you wanna plant them next to some herbs. Now, the reason why this is a huge benefit is because the herbs, they readily give off their essential oils. This also applies to things like uh, squash bugs with squash vine borers. It also applies to things like tomatoes with tomato hornworm. Herbs, what they do is when they give off their essential oils, they mask the scent of the plant that predators are trying to hone in to lay eggs on. So it could be brassicas with, uh, with the uh, cabbage moth. It could be tomatoes with tomato hornworm or it could be squash plants or cucumber plants with the squash vine borer or squash bugs. And when you mask the scent of those plants, those, those insects have a hard, much harder time finding those plants and honing in on them. So much so that we've actually seen uh, the, uh, the cabbage moth hovering around these plants. Are there any eggs on them? No, we've checked very thoroughly. Is there any damage on these plants? Well, see for yourself. Check this out. Get a load of this kale here. This kale looks absolutely stunning. There's not That's a the single bit of damage on any of these leaves. No damage whatsoever. It's just absolutely flawless. There's no cabbage moths. Even though we've seen so many cabbage moths fluttering around these plants, not a single one has had any damage. And what's to thank for that? This right here. This is a close proximity planting of tons of herbs. Now, there is a small space. There's a small space in between here. And that small space is not that big of a deal because of the scent of these herbs here. You have a huge pineapple sage plant. You have a huge cinnamon basil plant or a Thai basil plant. You have a huge cinnamon basil plant. You have mint. You have dill. You have lemongrass. You have more dill under here. And that right there is a great way to have tons of aromatics floating throughout the air. So much so that even just from brushing these plants, if I go like this, the whole air, I can immediately smell just a, an explosion of fragrance. Another really successful intercropping combination that we've used is carrots and onions. The reason why is because carrots are plagued with carrot fly. And much like your brassicas or your tomatoes or uh, your squash plants being the scent being masked by herbs, onions do a very similar thing for carrots. Carrot fly, they actually hunt out the scent of carrots. And what they'll do is they will essentially sting the carrot and they'll lay an egg when they sting the carrot. And that carrot will actually have a maggot that will grow in the center of the carrot, rotting out the core. This basically means that the carrot's not really worth eating anymore. It's good it for chickens. It rots if it doesn't completely die. And the, the maggot will live inside that carrot. And they specifically look for carrots. 
And so there have been many studies done with the benefits of planting onions and carrots. And this is a really good uh, combination of two plants that they grow really well together. They have similar benefits because uh, the, the carrots, they don't shade out the onions because the onions have very tall spindly leaves. And the, you know, the, the onions, they don't affect the carrots uh, growth and development at all because the onions, they grow on top of the soil and the carrots, they grow deep into the soil. So they don't take up any part of uh, the soil or air where there'd be competition. And you have the added benefit of the fact that the carrots do better because you have much less damage to carrot fly, which is something that we have really badly here in the spring. If our, if our springs are damp and cold, you can bet that we're gonna have carrot fly. And we've lost about half of our carrots in years that are damp and cool to carrot fly. That was until we planted the next to onions. Now we'll use any type of onion, but our favorite type of, of, uh, of intercropping is actually with bunching onions. And the reason why is because onions, they have a much longer maturity time. So we'll plant our big bulbing onions by themselves. And I'll get into those in a little bit. But we plant things like bunching onions because bunching onions mature in a very similar time as carrots do. Carrots mature in about 45 to 65 days, and so do bunching onions. And that means they're ready to harvest at the exact same time as well. So there's a huge benefit to planting them together, and we've had a really good amount of success with it. So whether it's with the tomatoes that we stake up or the cantaloupes and cucumbers that we grow vertically, growing vertically is a great way to intercrop with things that need a little more shade. See these tomatoes? They produce just fine. But a wonderful understory crop that we've used as an intercropping method has been beans and basil. Beans and basil are two crops we've had really good success with for different reasons. Basil provides the pest deterrent that we just talked about and beans, they actually provide, uh, the tomatoes provide shade for them so they can produce longer into the season. During really hot seasons, we've actually had uh, a difficult time getting our beans to produce in our bean bed. But when planted around our tomatoes, the shade actually gave them just enough cool, uh, cool temperatures to where they could continue producing even when it was really hot. And the added benefit is that the beans, once the beans die back and they're done, because inevitably they will be done, when, they, when the plants die back, any nitrogen that's left in the roots feeds the tomato plants. And so the tomato plants get a boost in nitrogen and the bean plants get some added, uh, they get some added shade so they produce better. And both of them produce. Both of them will produce. The only difference is, is that when you plant them together, you not only can get a harvest of tomatoes, but you can get a meal of beans. Again, why, could I not why should I not advocate that? Now, much like our tomatoes and our beans, Another intercropping combination we've used with great success are our vining crops. When we trellis our vining crops, like our cucumbers, peas, uh, cantaloupe, things like that, they vine and they create a wall of foliage. And that wall of foliage protects and shades the soil. Much like we talked about with our arugula and our Swiss chard, a similar thing happens with those plants. We'll plant things that are more shade loving or more cool, uh, more cool loving, like let's say, uh, lettuce. Lettuce is a great example. We'll plant our lettuce next to our cantaloupes or next to our peas, and we end up getting about three to four additional weeks. This is the first type of plant that does not like to be intercropped, and that's a space hog. This right here is horseradish, but it doesn't matter what the plant is. If it's a space hog, it does not like to be intercropped. This horseradish here is about three feet wide by about three feet tall. This thing is huge, and because it's so big, 
it's kind of just a, it's a bully. It pushes things over. It flattens them. It shades them out. It uh, outcompetes and outgrows. It just does not like to share the garden space that it's in. And so intercropping with this, as we made the mistake of with a very unfortunate, <laughs> a very unfortunate uh, eggplant here, which is completely shaded out at this point, it doesn't like to share the space. Similar space hogs can be things like cucumbers, uh, pumpkins, any type of squash plant that crawls along the ground. If you don't trellis it up, it becomes a space hog. And that's because it just, the growth habit of it, it basically just tramples anything and it will crawl up anything and smush it and, and shade it out because it's a vining plant. The second type of plant are plants that don't share the soil very well. These could be things like potatoes. Now you would never plant potatoes with other crops because you're harvesting them for the roots. And when it comes time to digging those plants up, you're gonna have to damage the root system of all the other plants. They also get very bushy and wide and very tall, much like this, uh, uh, much like this horseradish plant. And so in a way it can also be a space hog, but it's a, it's a kind of a soil hog as well because you have to dedicate that soil space to that crop and you really can't plant anything else there without risking killing it by digging it up. So it becomes kind of a nuisance to intercrop those types of plants. And one final quick note that I wanted to make is that companion planting is not the same as intercropping. I know a lot of you are gonna ask this. Well, you'll say, Luke, you don't advocate companion planting. And you're right, I don't. And that's because companion planting is very strict. It's very regimented. And it ends up really stealing a lot of the joy from your garden because you're, wor you're worrying all the time about, will this plant do good next to this plant? And what if this plant doesn't agree with this plant? Again, there are those plants that don't, they don't do so well next to each other and those are not so smart plantings. But other than that, if they're smart plantings and you see a benefit between having the two in the same space, go for it. And that's really where uh, intercropping gives you a lot more diversity, a lot more variety of what you can plant next to what, and you're gonna see a lot of benefits. So that's all I got for you today. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you learned something new. If you wanna see the reasons and why I don't recommend companion planting, Go check out the video why I don't recommend companion planting. And there's nothing against someone that companion plants. It's just, and me as a gardener, I like to use my garden space as a canvas and kind of have my own creative outlook on what I want to plant. And I don't want to be so pigeonholed into planting one thing next to another thing because of this specific reason. So um, it just gives me a little more freedom and a little more uh, variety to choose from. So as always, I hope you guys enjoyed. Hopefully you learned something new. And as always, we'll catch you all later. See ya. Bye. What is going on? All right. So that's kind of what I was saying in the beginning about falling down that rabbit hole of companion planting. I know the first guy said companion planting and intercropping are the same thing. They're really not. Companion planting is very regimented um, and it's it's needlessly so. Um, so, yeah. But. And I love his gardens. They're absolutely amazing. And all right. The other part that I really wanted to learn about is high density gardening. Cause like I said, I felt like I always had so much wasted space in my garden and I really want to utilize all of it. I want to be able to feed my entire family plus my chickens and my dogs. Cause my dogs love vegetables. Hence Annie eating the entire crop of carrots off the counter um, for for the year, basically. And since I live in South Georgia, I mean, if I, if I plant, if I start say carrots and, um, bunching onions, you know, if I, if I do 
some of those in, you know, plan them in March or at the end of February, beginning of March, you know, they're ready in two months, both of them. And then I can plant a whole nother bed of carrots and bunching onions and have a whole nother crop two months later before it gets too hot. And then I can switch over to the, to the really hot loving crops. Um, really I can use my garden year round, just don't want to wear out the soil, but again, I have the chickens and compost and, you know, a decent landscape supply company nearby that will deliver me compost for a decent price. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to try it. Anyway, so let's talk about high density gardening, especially with salads. He goes a lot into salads here, which I love salad greens. I hate salad greens from the grocery store. I don't know about y'all. I really couldn't stand salad greens for the longest time. I don't know. They always just tasted funny and they went bad so fast. Um, it just, I don't know, just didn't work for me. And when I lived in Colorado though, when I moved there, all of a sudden I was craving salad and I think it was adjusting to the altitude. And in Colorado, you know, a lot of, uh, especially in the early 2000s, a lot of hippies, a lot of people that were growing their own food. And one of my friends was like, oh, you know, eat this and gave me butter crunch lettuce, which I always hated out of her garden. And it was the most delicious thing I'd ever had in my entire life. And that set me down a road um, of trying to grow my own salad, which I stopped for a while. Now that we're in this new place, I've I really gotten back into it. I had a huge Swiss charge, Swiss chard plant last year, fed us for a long time. Um, now I've got a whole arrow garden and uh, pallet beds full of salad greens. They do like the cold. Um, of course, not the freezing, but they do like the cold. They do not like the heat. They do get bitter in the heat. So, so I have the arrow gardens because I'll switch them to the inside when it gets super hot. Um, but I like to have my salad greens. But again, when you're planting salad, and Lindsay, I know you said here, this the spacing on seed packets is meant for large-scale farming. Uh, you can plant closer than the directions say. So um, there's, I think I have a video on spacing as well. The thing about spacing, when they tell you, like, for example, uh, tomato plants, they tell you to plant them two feet apart, right? But that's two feet on center. So you should have one foot on either side. And you can get a little bit closer than that. So um, you can get, you can do them like one and a half feet apart on center. So you have three quarters of a foot on either side. Um, if you get what I'm saying, people always put twice to, or too few plants out because they go from the side instead of on center. So instead of doing every two inches, you do every one inch on some things. Um, but this high density gardening is complete throws all that out the window so let's check this out Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode here on the MI Gardener channel. I know you all are going to love this one because this is a continuation in our ongoing series about promoting a high density planting approach. So in this episode, I want to talk about all the plants that we have here and the spacing that we have them at so I can show you how we are uh, planting in a high density approach for all of our other plants because I showed our lettuce, but there was a lot of questions about the other plants that we had. But I also wanted to talk about seed packets 
and the disservice that they are doing when it comes to plant spacing. So when it comes to spacing, oftentimes you'll see a packet uh, that will say space, let's say eight inches apart, okay? And for instance, onions, onions are recommended to space six to eight inches apart. However, what they do not tell you is that the seed packet industry actually goes by on-center planting. And what on-center planting means, it means it's actually going by the diameter of the plant. And so if six to eight inches spacing, you actually divide that by two, because what we are doing is we're actually taking the radius. And that's what we space our plants on, is on a radius. Not the diameter, but a radius. Because if you space your plants out eight inches, you're going to actually have uh, tw uh, twice as few plants, so two times less plants. If you space them four inches on center, you're going to have twice as many plants, the number you should be having in a garden. And that is the whole idea behind a high density approach. It's nothing new, it's nothing crazy. There are new things that we're adding to it, like in an organic garden, we don't have rows and things like that, so we can put way more plants in. Or we do have rows, but they're much, much closer together. And so because we are increasing the productivity in our garden, we are able to plant way more plants in a square foot. So coming in close, I wanna show you what I'm talking about because I think oftentimes people really get hung up on that plant spacing thing. And they say, well, everyone says to space it, you know, a foot apart or two feet apart. You do not have to space it two feet apart. Um, if it says two feet, it's one foot on center. And that means there's a foot and a foot. That's two feet spacing. If you have eight inches spacing, that's four inches on one side, four inches on the other, you have eight inches of space between each plant. So as I stated, I was gonna show onions first because I think this is the best example of the concept that I'm talking about, about on-center spacing. And you can see here between each plant, they have four inches, but total eight inches. So we're only spacing our plants four inches apart. Now, if you were to space it eight inches apart, imagine this plant isn't even here. You'd have this plant, and this plant. And sadly, that's what a lot of people are doing is they're, they're spacing their stuff according to the seed packets, but they don't, they don't realize the seed packets are telling you on center. They just don't state it in the seed packets. And that's why I wish seed packets would start doing that. So we're talking about on center spacing, meaning you get a free plant. <laughs> For every two, you get a free plant. So um, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a freebie there that so many people are missing out on this plant. I would say probably 60, 70% of gardeners miss out on. And this plant multiplied. And now, with the intercropping, so, we plant really rows of so, carrots in between those rows of bunching onions would never to really maximize that if space. They planted, if they were planted based on the eight inch spacing. So that's a cool one. Let's go check out the kale. So with kale, we have 10 inch spacing between plants. And that's because they have really wide leaves that, that go out very far. And so we have a plant here and a plant here. And then we have a 10 inch gap, we have a plant here. So traditional spacing would be about 20 inches. This plant right here, if you 
followed the seed packet spacing, this plant would never exist. So because we're planting on center, we're planting 10 inches on center, you get this plant here. And so oftentimes people are overspacing their gardens. And that's why in a high intensity approach, you'll notice that the leaves shade out the soil. And so here you have soil that's, that is not being mulched, but let the leaves go back. It's being mulched by leaf cover, meaning the weeds can't compete. And so the weeds can't have access to sunlight. They don't have access to the water. The plants have grown up. They have access to the nutrients. They're allowed to grow in the plants and the weeds are not. So this is a great way to minimize the weeds in your garden and get extra plants that you normally never have. So let's move on over to the peppers. Let's check that one out. As you can see with our peppers, we have about 11 inch spacings between each plant. So they're planted in a kind of a four eyed dice pattern. What you could do is if you have, these are large pepper plants. If you have some of your smaller ones like Tabasco, some of your smaller peppered plants, you can actually plant a five-eyed dice right here. Because these are bell peppers, they grow really large, have large fruits on them, and airflow is really important to have. We don't have that type of luxury, but like I said, depending on the type of pepper plant, you can plant a fifth one right here. Meaning again with the wasted get, space though. So you not only get this um, with the intercropping, I I'd probably plant a bunch of herbs in there to keep the pests away. Um, thyme, basil, as a bonus, oregano. You also not have a plant here, and, and then you could plant here, onions in between, carrots in between, parsnips, um, radishes. There's not ever all kinds of good stuff. So having the right type of pepper plant also will increase your your yields even more so uh, again this is just because we're growing a really large really large fruiting pepper that we have to space them out in a in a block of four instead of a block of five here are our tomatoes now a lot of times people will try to plant their tomatoes closer thinking that they can kind of that they can cram them together we've tried it before trust me it does not work you really can't space your tomatoes that close together because tomatoes need tons of airflow but still, regardless, we are actually spacing them. These are about a one and a half times closer. So they're not, they're not twice as close. They're about one and a half times closer. So they have about a foot and a half space between each plant. And that uh, the typical spacing is two feet apart. So uh, over the course of the whole bed, we're able to fit about two more plants per bed, which is not a huge gain but it's definitely a gain nonetheless because you don't need two feet per spacing, especially if they're spaced one and a half feet on center. And here is our zucchini. Are you gonna get the airflow that's required to let the plants dry out? Absolutely. Because of the fact that we, gr we grow in a raised bed, the plants are elevated, allowing for airflow to get underneath the leaves. They have a really good rich soil. And so because we have the spacing, normally they say three feet spacing, one and a half feet per plant, folks. One and a half feet on center, but it's also one and a half feet on center diagonally. So remember how we talked about peppers, how you could sometimes, depending on the plant, get a, a five-eyed dice going, a five, a five block of five. This is what we have going here. So um, in four square feet, or sorry, in 16 square feet, four by four, we actually have five plants. So that is, uh, that's basically three feet spacing, but it's a one and a half feet on center, folks. So uh, here's another amazing example. And because of this, 
we're actually able to get one, two, three, four, five, six extra plants. So unbelievable, unbelievable. So, all right, uh, that's another good example. Let's go over and check out the, uh, the broccoli and cabbage. This one's gonna blow your mind. This one is incredible. So this is our broccoli and cabbage bed. Now you're probably looking at this and you're thinking, what on earth is Luke on? What is he doing to his beds? That looks These like a way good use too crowded. of space. Absolutely not, folks. Absolutely not. By combining our plants, we're actually able to grow broccoli and cabbage in a high density planting to where the cabbage is a low understory. The broccoli is a kind of a, a canopy. It grows up, if you will. So they don't compete for space at all because they're on two different size levels. The, the cabbage is spaced a foot and a half on center, meaning you have a foot and a half to the next plant, meaning the leaves just begin to overlap as you see, but they have plenty of room to, to create a head. They're planted a foot and a half on center and a foot and a half on center. And then in the center, we have the broccoli, which is planted a foot and a half, or, or sorry, two feet on center in between each cabbage plant. So you have a row of, a row of broccoli, and then just next door, a row, a row of cabbage. And you can see here that because they are working so perfectly together, we're actually able to maximize incredible, incredible amounts of, of uh, growing space here. And they are doing fantastic. So you have the cabbage, which is just doing wonderfully. As you can see, no signs of stress whatsoever. They're not stretching for anything. They're not, they're not looking uh, stressed whatsoever. And neither is the broccoli. The broccoli is doing great. No signs of stress whatsoever. So you can see here that, you know, even though we, we did lose a plant there, um, that something happened to that one and, and we lost we lost a tiny cabbage plant. We had a planted seedling there. That's definitely going to get shaded out. And so is that broccoli. But had everything been healthy, every, not everything is always perfect here. Had everything been really healthy, it would have been just a solid wall of, of green. So uh, again, this is shading out the soil. It's preventing evaporation. It's keeping the soil cooler. It is also um, not allowing weeds to grow. It is uh, using the nutrients in the soil to grow rather than to compete with weeds. And it's actually benefiting from each other because the broccoli is shading the cabbage. The broccoli is an earlier maturing vegetable, meaning when the broccoli matures, we'll cut the broccoli, harvest that, and then allow the cabbage to finish growing once the cabbage leaves are fully grown. So uh, this, is a perfect, uh, this is a perfect example of just how close things can be and how um, in a normal garden, this would be considered absolutely insane. So there you go. There is how to plant on center and also a overview of our densely planted garden. Hopefully you all enjoyed. Hopefully you were inspired to try this. And even though it might be a little bit late for some people, it's, a, it's okay. You can learn for next year. And that's what I... Well, our season's just starting, so not late for us. So, so that was fun. Um, I love getting ideas of what to plant where. For example, plants we can intercrop with tomatoes. Um, I thought that that was the video that got into the, the salads. I guess it was the one, uh, one that I didn't pull. But what he did say about uh, the salads, with high-density salad gardening, just put all the seeds in. Uh, just, you know, put like a seed every quarter inch or so. Um, just spread them down a row because 
they'll they'll all grow up together and they'll grow up instead of out. So even your heads will actually grow up as like a, a leafy green, which I like better personally than like heads of lettuce. Um, and and it, it grows up great. And uh, you don't even have to thin them. So when I plant my salad beds, I just, and I, I like to do them in pallets. So I'll take landscaping fabric and put it on the bottom of a pallet um, or sometimes just down the side if it's got good soil underneath, depending on what I'm putting in the, the pallet itself. And I fill it with soil and I'll just make a row with my finger down the middle of each exposed roll of soil in the pallet and just sprinkle the you know mixed salad seeds in there, whatever it is. Um, I'll even mix them up sometimes. Um, just put a salad mix in there and then just put soil over it and and water it. I mean, they're you know you don't want them to fly away, so they're very tiny seeds. You just basically put them on top, um, but you put a little bit of soil over the top of them and uh, maybe you know an eighth to a quarter inch down, basically. Um, again, I just run my fingertip down, spread the salad seeds in there, uh, salad green seeds in there, put the soil over it and and let it go, and it grows great. So high density salad gardening is pretty fantastic. So well, let's learn about some things that we can intercrop with tomatoes before we actually start planting our garden, because that's going to be the next step. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another very exciting episode right here on the MI Gardener channel. I am super excited about today's video because it's going to be talking about something that I think is really important, not talked about enough, and it's something that's really going to help you guys grow more food in less space. That's something we really try to drive home a lot because you know space is a commodity, and uh, and there's it's a limited amount of it, so we have to really use it to the best of our abilities so we can grow more food for our families. So I'm really excited about this, and uh, so let's get on into it. It's a beautiful day, nice 75 degree day with some breeze, so hopefully we don't have too much cloud cover rolling in and out, but uh, either way, we're gonna have a good day. Hope you guys are gonna enjoy this one. So what are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about a question that was brought up when we were planting up and staking up our tomato plants. It was worded something along the lines of, I don't have it right in front of me, but it was worded kind of something along the lines of, Luke, if we're staking up our tomato plants and growing vertically rather than horizontally, which you should be, it's a great way to grow. If we're growing in that, in that method, isn't there going to be a lot of wasted space around the base of the tomato plants that would usually be a tomato plant, but now is bare soil? And the answer is yes. There is going to be a lot of wasted space if you don't plant something. Wasted space is only wasted if you don't use it. So, Real quick here, um, just a, a little hack. Uh, what to use to tie up your tomatoes? Because you don't, you know, the, the stuff, the tomato ties they sell you can, can be really expensive. You don't use, want to use wire because it'll dig into it if, if it, you know, it's windy and it sways. Um, you can, you know, you can buy a really good stretchy cord for, you know, 10 bucks a roll on Amazon. And sure, that's, great. Um, but if you have kids that wear white t-shirts and get them really dirty and outgrow them really quick, you can actually just uh, cut those old t-shirts into strips and use that to tie up your plants because they stretch, they bend with the wind. Um, you know, they, they uh, don't block any sunlight, anything like that. Uh, so t-shirt strips to tie up your plants. Anyway. How are we going to fix that problem? Well, first I want to talk about how it, you know, the things that can be caused from leaving your bed space empty like that. 
And then I want to go into some plants that you can plant there because it's very, very important to, to do something called intercropping. Now, intercropping is what we talk about all the time that increases the diversity in our garden. You know, we have a tomato bed, we have a lettuce bed, we have a pepper bed or a potato bed. As gardeners, we really like this kind of orderly beds kind of layout, but it can do some negative stuff to our garden. The one thing is with pests. You know, pests, they hone in on a specific crop, right? Tomato hornworms, they hone in on tomatoes. We talk about all the time with uh, the, uh, the uh, cabbage moths, the cabbage loopers. They hone in on the cabbage plants or brassicas. If you look at squash with squash vine borers, they hone in on squash or cucurbita crops. So what you want to do is you want to intercrop because it helps with pest control. You know, if you're an organic gardener like I am, increasing the biodiversity increases the amount of pheromones and scents being spread around, which can help mask the scent of these tomato plants. So you don't have nearly as many pest problems as you would normally. So that's the first thing that's going to help with. The second thing that intercropping is going to help with is it's going to cover the soil. We talk about all the time how having bare soil like what's behind me is not that good of a thing, which is, we're gonna fix that, trust me. We're not gonna have this bare soil for very long because bare soil, when it's bare, it opens up to soil degradation from the sun. When the bright sun beams down on the soil like it is today, all this soil here actually loses light. It loses its, its vitality because it's baking the soil. It's actually solarizing and killing off all the beneficial bacteria that's found in the soil or this top little layer of soil. It's not good because that's where a lot of your life is found. That's why we want to cover it as soon as possible. So it's, it's uh, degrading the soil from the sun. When the wind blows really hard, the wind can blow away topsoil. If it rains really hard, it can wash away topsoil or wash nutrients out of the soil. So it's degrading the soil in that manner. And also it opens up the soil to weed seeds. Weed seeds are blowing all around this time of year. As you probably see, there's quite a few cotton, cottonwood uh, fuzzies blowing through, the, through the, the field of view there. And those cottonwood seeds or grass seeds or any seed for that matter, dandelion seeds, they can land on this bare soil and they'll take advantage of it. And that causes more work for you. So the solution to, to fixing all those problems and all those negatives is by planting something good here, something that's gonna grow food for your family. That way you're growing a crop here that's gonna be covering the soil, acting as a living mulch that's going to protect the soil. It's actually gonna help with uh, evaporation because there's gonna be more shade on the soil, meaning water won't evaporate from the soil as fast, meaning your crops are gonna have more access to that moisture to grow. It's going to keep the soil covered. It's going to keep pests from coming into your plants because it's going to help with the biodiversity. It's going to take up the soil space where weed seeds would normally germinate. It's just an all around great way to preserve the soil quality of your garden. So what do we plant here? What can we plant here? So that's the next part of this video that I'm going to talk about are some smart plantings because you see there are smart plantings and there are not so smart plantings. You can intercrop with a bad plant and cause some negative uh, negative side effects. You see, tomato plants are a very heavy feeder. And one of the biggest mistakes I see people making are planting crops that are very heavy feeders in with their tomatoes. So if you have two heavy feeders and there's only so much food to go around, you're going to have an issue. There's gonna be some competition there and that can cause stress. The first thing we wanna look at is how much sun the beds get with the tomato plants growing. You see right now, the center of the bed is pretty well shaded. There's not a lot of access to sunlight because of how closely the tomato plants are planted together. But the outside of the bed has nice full sun. So this allows us to do a couple things. 
where you can plant some shade loving or you know cool weather crops inside the tomato or not inside the tomato plants but inside the center of the bed that has a little bit more shade and we can plant some more sun loving crops on the outside these would be crops like beans beans are sun loving crops but they don't take a lot of uh, nitrogen from the soil and in some cases they can give nitrogen back to the soil so beans would be a great crop to grow on the outside and something that you could grow on the inside would be things like herbs herbs don't require a lot of nutrients things like thyme sage uh, oregano basil they don't require a whole lot of sun they don't require a whole lot of nutrients and they would grow great as an understory crop thyme specifically is a great crop that can even handle some neglect so we love thyme because of the fact it's a low growing ground cover it protects the soil it grows a lot of food in a small amount of space and the fact that it can handle the shade that, that the tomato plants give off another crop that you can plant within your tomato plants is lettuce Lettuce is a wonderful crop that likes the shade. It does not like the nice hot sun because that's why it bolts is because of the stress from the sun. So use that as an intercropping. A plant that I would not recommend is spinach. Spinach is a very heavy nitrogen feeder and it will compete. Whereas lettuce does not take up nearly as much nitrogen and the tomato plants and the lettuce can coexist. Another crop that you could plant are radishes. In early season, you know, right now it's a little bit too warm for radishes, but in early season, Plant some radishes. Radishes love the shade, and in fact, they're going to actually do better in the uh, in the shade than in the hot sun, where they can where they can often bolt if the sun gets too hot. Another crop that I don't see growing around tomato plants enough are your root crops. Things like rutabagas, parsnips, carrots, beets, uh, radishes. We even talked about radishes earlier, but those root crops are great to plant around tomato plants because of the fact they don't use a lot of nitrogen. They actually use more phosphorus for their root development. And these are great things to plant around tomato plants because when the tomato plants take up a lot of nitrogen, oftentimes the reason why you don't get large beets, so the reason why you don't get large radishes or the reason why you don't get large carrots is because there's too much nitrogen. They actually will coexist extremely well because of the fact that the nitrogen causes the, the, uh, you know, the radishes or the carrots to grow beautiful tops, but no root, right? So if if the tomatoes are taking up the nitrogen, the, the root crops can actually focus more on root development rather than leaf development. And this is something that I just don't see being done enough in the garden. And it's something that can really help grow a lot more food in a lot less space. Also, one of the really nice things about planting things like carrots is their foliage is very sparse. If you plant something like say broccoli, broccoli would be a very not smart plant to put here because they get really tall so they're gonna interfere with the growth of the tomato plants. They like a lot of sun, so they're gonna be competing for the sunlight as well as the space with the tomato plants. They take up a lot of nitrogen, like the tomato plants do. And also, they also have huge leaves, which are going to restrict that airflow. Whereas something like a carrot, carrots have wispy, thin leaves. And that means that airflow can get through those leaves very easily, and they're not going to block airflow, which can cause blight and other mildews and, and fungus attacks and things like that on your tomato plants. So they coexist very well like that. All your other crops, you know, beets, they all have pretty low foliage. So if you prune your tomato plants up, it's going to give you nice uh, access for air to still flow underneath your plants. Tall plants like that, like a broccoli or, a, or a Brussels sprouts, things like that that just get really tall, not very smart to plant under your tomato plants. Another crop that I just don't see being planted enough underneath tomato plants are flowers. Flowers are so great to intercrop with tomatoes because of the fact it not only increases pollination from insects, but it also acts 
as natural insect repellent. Things like marigolds are fantastic to plant around tomato plants. There have been some studies that show that, uh, that marigolds help reduce aphids, help reduce tomato hornworm, and also help reduce soil-borne nematodes. So soil nematodes are something that plagues a lot of different crops, and marigolds have a chemical found in the root system that actually uh, repels the nematodes, violas. They don't like a lot of that bright sun because they, they actually are more of a cool weather flower. Plant your violas and stuff inside the bed. Um, things like lavender. Lavender is a fantastic crop to grow. Grow some lavender here. They love the nice full sun and they're going to do great. So edible flowers are another great crop to grow. It's gonna be a nice smart planting that you can grow to take up this extra space. And the final crop that I would love to see more of you guys plant in your garden around your tomato plants are onions. Onions grow great and coexist totally fine with tomatoes. One of the things that you want to do is you want to grow crops that don't restrict airflow, right? Well, onions are one of the least air restricting crops of them all because in fact their leaves are really tall but really spindly. So even if they grow up, even if their leaves grow up into the tomato plant, they restrict no airflow at all. They won't compete for nutrients and they take up very little space in terms of bulb size so they can coexist really well. So those are the crops that I'd recommend putting in and around your tomato plants. It's a great way to grow more food in less space. And so I hope you guys will take this information into the garden, grow bigger, go home with it, grow more food for your family and get that sense of satisfaction. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you learned something new. If you did, make sure to throw a like up there. It really helps spread this video around. And let me know in the comments box below some other crops that you've intercropped around tomato plants and had success with. It might be nice for other people to kind of, uh, kind of glean some information from you as well. So, all right, I'll catch you guys on tomorrow's episode. As always, this is Luke from the MI Gardener channel reminding you to grow big or go home. Fantastic. So, awesome. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I've learned a lot from just those couple of videos. Um, I have so many ideas for my garden. I've been researching this like I would research a true spiracy episode because this is literally our future, right? I mean, I who can afford to go to the grocery store anymore? And I don't trust the food in there. I really don't. Um, We've heard about how they're putting all kinds of stuff. They plan on growing mRNA in salad greens. Well, you're damn skippy. They're not growing in the salad greens out in my, uh, my pallet beds. So grow your own food. It's really important. And you can grow a lot of food in a little bit of space. And the other thing I learned that if I focus on it, if I, if I know it's important, I can be really good at it. But sometimes I just fly by the seat of my pants. And I tried that last year and it didn't work so well. That would be organizing. So to that end, I found this awesome website that I'm going to share with y'all. Let me come over here. And we're going to go straight from the beginning here. And that would be almanac.com and go to gardening, garden planner, 2023. They have all kinds of things in here. Plant growing guides, vegetable gardening, flower gardening, when to plant, but I like the garden planner. Um, so you can, uh, 
They have a free seven-day trial, whatever. So they also have a whole YouTube thing on how to do it, which I've already taken. We don't need it. All right. We're going to create a new plan. So VLIN, and then my garden, my first garden is 18 feet by 21 feet. Okay. So I'm going to make this a little bigger. Other way. There we go. And then down on the side here, they have all the plants you could ever want. And then you can put things in as well. And you can organize it by vegetables, fruits, herbs, flowers, etc. So I'm going to start with vegetables. And I'm not going to include perennials. Um, so since we were talking about tomatoes, and I have 15 different kinds of tomato plants. We're going to start with tomatoes. All right. So tomato large. And I made lists of what I have. So I have, well, I have medium, small, medium, and large tomatoes. I'm going to put the the medium and the small together and the large and the extra large together. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six. All right. So I have seven large tomato plants um, and eight small and medium tomato plants. So I'm going to put them down one side and I want two of each. So I'm going to put them here and then I can just pull it, move it there to the corner. Okay. And then I can put as many as I want here. Four, five, six. So six plants and it does give you some spacing, but of course it does, uh, it's not doing high density spacing. So I'm going to put the number of, of plants, but it's not necessarily going to work out that way, if you, if you know what I mean. Um, so six there, and I'm going to do another row here. So I'll go back to tomato large, another row here, and then put some all, small tomatoes in the front. So then I've got 12 large tomato plants, 14 small tomato plants, right? And in the middle, I want to put a row of carrots. Actually, I want to put two rows of carrots. So I'm going to put them um, one there. And then another one here. And then I'm actually going to put 
lettuce on top. So leaf lettuce in the middle here. And I think I'm gonna put some beans on the outside for nitrogen purposes. So beans. All right, so I got my beans interspersed on that side. Actually, I don't wanna do those anymore. And then bunching onions, I think, on the, uh, the outside, on the other side, green onions. So I can put green onions right here. And then some, I think, beets on the edges. The other thing I learned about beets in my research, and this was really cool, when you plant beets, plant three seeds per cell and just leave them because they'll actually get bigger as they compete for room. So one, two, three beets there. And then another set here. And then some more down here. So beets along the outside. And I know I left holes here in between the bush beans because I want to put marigolds in there because we were talking about how the flower the flowers do such great stuff for um, getting out all the good stuff. Snap peas and snow peas are also good nitrogen fixers. Absolutely. Because they're kind of the same, right? Cousins, beans, and peas. Let's see. All right, marigolds. So marigolds here. And in here. And some in there, so in between the beans. And then last but not least, I want to put herbs in here. I think everyone knows that basil improves the taste of tomatoes. And it keeps all kinds of good pests away. So basil. Do they not have, let's see. Huh. Interesting. I wonder where they have oregano listed. Oh, I didn't include perennials. That's why. Yeah, that makes a big difference. Because, of course, most herbs are perennials. So, some oregano. What about walking and reaching space? Um, so this bed's not actually that big. It's actually only uh, four feet across. Um, 
that's that's pretty easy to access from either side. It's not bad at all. So four feet by um, by twenty feet. Yeah, I love basils. I make pesto all the time. Basils are fantastic. All right, so I think that bed's pretty well done. And then the next one I want to do is peppers. Because I have, Mick loves peppers, by the way. Um, he, the army killed his taste buds, so he just craves super hot stuff all the time. And all right. before I get to that, so I actually have some beds that are kind of already set that aren't, uh, aren't going to, aren't going to move. Like I have a, a tiered raised bed about here that I put all my herbs in or I put a bunch of herbs in. So you can go to garden objects and include that. There should be a raised bed wood. And that sits about here. And then I also have a pallet bed next to it that I'm going to that's the same size. So that's right there. That's my salad bed. Okay. And you can put all kinds of things in here, um, like potato sacks. He was talking about planting potatoes and uh, you don't plant potatoes near anything. Plant potatoes in potato sacks or in 10 gallon buckets. It's so much easier. So it's just so much easier. Italian and mountain oregano are great as medicinal as well as bee friends. Yes, bees friends. I want to get bees eventually. That's going to be one of my next projects. But I'm not quite there yet. So, okay. Plant house, pergolas. All right. And I do also have a an herb bed. Let me... A raised bed mini. That's my herb bed that's right here. So I actually have uh, grapes. Well, it's kind of a fruit bed. I have grapes and uh, all kinds of stuff in there. So, all right, back to plants. Actually, I'll add the stuff I have in there right now. So I have... Rosemary, I have a big rosemary. Mm. Lavenders in there. And I have lemongrass in there. And some fennel on the side. And this bed's already built. This is from last year. I'll add some more herbs in there. 
but for now it's already built and there's parsley all along the edge. Okay, so that's some of my herbs bed. And in the other one, I have mint. Actually, I have asparagus in that one too, which is kind of random. Um, echinacea. Um, <laughs> what else is in that bed? I think it's mostly mint at this point. But I'll be putting other stuff in there too. There's some basil in there. That's the herb bed. This is the salad bed. So that, we'll go back to vegetables. Because it's mostly different leaf lettuce in there. All right, so that's the salad bed. Now, there's a whole, there's a fence line. By the way, this whole thing is fenced in. And then there's a fence gate here um, at the bottom. And then the other garden is on the other side. It's the one we saw the video of. So I'm going to put um, my vining plants, cucumbers, squashes, things like that along the fence line. Um, and stake them up there, but it's just easier for them to climb the fence. Gives them that extra support right off the beginning. So I'm going to put some cucumbers here. Make those love as cucumbers. And some squash. Summer squash along here, along the back fence line there. So, um, yeah, bok, bok choy, Asian leaf plants can keep ground covered when regular greens go out of season. That's um, chickens and ducks especially love bok choy. So I'm definitely planning on growing them in the other garden. I'm gonna do a lot of leafy greens in the other garden. So peppers. I have 15 different types of pepper plants. Hmm, maybe. No, I have seven different types of pepper plants. Um, and I'm going to plant different kinds. So I've got pepperoncinis, sweet bananas, uh, California wonders, just bell peppers, cubanelles, Hungarian hot wax, and two different types of jalapenos. So peppers... Now you can even in here um, put the the names of the peppers. So like I can put bell. Oh, hold on. Uh, or when you're searching for the plant, you put that in there. So pepper, pepper or chili pepper. So um, I have. Let's see. One, two, three not so hot peppers and four hot peppers. So we'll put um, three of the types of regular peppers in there and then four of the not so hot peppers in there. 
And I want to leave a little space in between, of course, to get through. So one, two, three, four. And I'm actually going to do a uh, double plant beds. There we go. And then chili peppers next to it. Okay. And then, all right. Good things to put around peppers. Close that out there. So we have all the vegetables. Uh, again, in between the root vegetables. So I'm actually going to do some radishes, I think, in between the peppers. Let's go down to radish. The thing about radishes is you can, that's a 30 day crop. So I can get tons of radishes. So. Radishes in there, right in between. And some scallions, which are essentially like, kind of like bunching onions, but not quite on the sides. Because we'll put them in between the pepper plants, actually. So they'll grow up in between the pepper plants. And again, they don't really compete for space with the peppers. So more scallions. And then basil is another great herb to go around peppers. Really all of them are. So basil and let's see. Hmm. I'm put some parsley around the peppers too. Parsley's great. You know? Okay, so that's like a half a bed there. And then in my next bed, I want to do pretty much the same thing, but with eggplants. Of course, there's not very many different kinds of eggplants, so... We're not doing that many, just two. I mean, two different kinds of eggplants. Small ones and, and large ones. But they all take up the same amount of space. So we'll do another bed with eight eggplants. And plant some parsnips down in between them. So parsnips in there, because why not? And maybe we'll do some beets around them too. Some more beets. All right. And for my herbs, going around the eggplants. Oh, actually, you know what? We're going to put the parsley around the eggplants because the other thing I heard is that chamomile is great around peppers. 
apparently chamomile keeps um helps them grow really well. So we're gonna put chamomile in the peppers. I almost forgot that. Is that gonna be enough cucumbers for mixed pickle fetish? Um there's a, a a lot more cucumber plants in there because we're going to put twice as many in there because they're going to be trellised up. So, yeah, should be okay. Okay. And then, Liana said, I've seen some awesome potato plants grown in old laundry baskets. Yes, definitely. And sweet potatoes are also great. Um, they're not as, uh, and you can give sweet potatoes to chickens raw. You cannot give them to, uh, you cannot give them raw regular potatoes. Okay. And then, all right. And then in the next part of this, I think I'm going to plant some broccoli and cabbage. So the way he had it interspersed. It'll be a little bit more, but that's okay. And plant the cabbage in between. All right. Broccoli and cabbage. Then you can actually move these um, names around too so that you can see what they are so they don't all sit on top of each other so that you can print it out. So some ideas for planning, intercropping, high density gardening. Um, the other thing I'm definitely going to plant and I'm going to do a lot of it is borage. I love borage. Um, it's a great herb. It's uh, the leaves taste like cucumbers. Um, you can eat them as salad greens. You can make a tincture, which helps with all kinds of things for everything from uh, nervous disorders to cramps to nausea, uh, car sickness, all kinds of stuff. Borage is fantastic. And then uh, you can chew up the leaves and put it on a bug bite. Um, and it takes the, the sting and the itch away almost immediately. It has uh, so many uses. Um, you can eat the flowers. I mean, borage is just, it's great. So I'm going to plant a lot of borage. I think I'm going to do like two rows back here. Um, do I do that thing where I plant a row of lettuce and wait a few days to a week and then a new row so they all come at different times? Uh, with lettuce, no, because when you harvest it, it just grows right back up. Um, with other things, yes. So like I'll I'll start some of, in fact, I already have some tomato plants that are started that are like four feet tall already um, from last spring that are in pots right now, but I'll put them in the garden. And then I have some other seeds that I'll start now and I'll put them in the garden in, you know, in a couple of weeks when I till it, but, you know, I'll let them grow up now and then I'll have more that I'll just seed directly into the garden so that I have tomatoes coming at different times rather than, you know, getting a few bushels of tomatoes all at the same time. And then, you know, what do you do with a hundred tomatoes all at once? So if you stagger it out and grow them at, you know, just 
especially if you're starting this early, you can start some seedlings now and have that going. So you can put those in the ground when you put the seeds in the ground so that they grow up at different times. So yes, I will stagger the planting that way. Plus, it's really hard to plant everything all at once. So um, if you if you have a plan, if you have an organization already, then you can plant, you know, half of it. If you build your garden first, the infrastructure of your garden first, lay out where things are going to be, set up your tomato steaks, um, you know, your trellis for your cucumbers before you put anything in the ground and you have the whole plan set out. And then, you know, you, you mound your rows up, mound your beds up a bit and put the plants in um, or put the seeds in, whichever it may be. Some things do better from seeds. Some things are, you know, better from to, to start as seedlings. Uh, to put in the ground, um, just look it up, see what works better for the area that you're in, because it depends on what area you're in as well. And then uh, get gardening. So anyway, um, I love this almanac.com gardening plan. It's it's given me a, a great idea. And especially even of different vegetables and things to use. Um, I know, for example, I want to grow a bunch of amaranth uh, for, and I'll probably grow it inside the borage, uh, for the chickens. It's a grain. It's, it's great for the chickens. Um, they love it. It's, I'm again, trying to grow as much of their feed as I can, as well as our food and food for the dogs. Uh, so I'll grow a bunch of amaranth cause that's really good. And we'll like set that on top of each other. And uh, kohlrabi. I don't know if you guys are familiar with kohlrabi. I like to find these kind of underutilized vegetables that are just really fantastic. Um, so kohlrabi is kind of like a cross between a turnip and a potato. It's this huge, and I think they, he showed you some in, in one of those videos that we watched. Um, but it, it's this huge thing and uh, it's, kind of sweet and crunchy at the same time. It's really good. Uh, there it is, kohlrabi. Okay. So I'm going to plant a couple rows of kohlrabi here. And I think I'm going to plant some more radishes inside the kohlrabi because they'll grow down. And so radishes inside the kohlrabi in between, which they, they grow up and they sit up on top like big, big onions do. And they grow up from there. Um, and speaking of onions, I'm going to put some onions in here too onions and I think uh, maybe inside the onions we'll grow some broccoli because why not so we'll grow some broccoli there because that will grow up taller and then the onions will be kind of inside and all right and what else have we got here that I want to put in on this side? 
Ooh, garlic. Yes, I will put garlic in with the onions too. Garlic and onions grow well together, I think. I have a whole different uh, whole different bed. I actually grow okra inside, um, around my duck enclosure. In the concrete blocks, planters kind of. And let's see. I do have some rhubarb, but I know that takes over. So I don't think I want to put that in there. Leeks will grow with garlic as well. I think I'm missing a... There we go. Swiss chard. I told y'all I like lettuce. So I'm going to do the Swiss chards and then the arugula in front of it. Sometimes arugula is considered an herb. Sometimes arugula is considered a salad green. Uh, no, Liana, you did not miss me putting my Brussels sprouts in. <laughs> I'm not a big fan. And Mick loves them, though. I, I should plant a few just for him. We'll see. And... <laughs> All right. Now, a lot of this stuff I have to get in, you know, some of the stuff like the broccoli and stuff has to go in really early because it gets so hot here so fast. Um, here we go. I do want to do a like, big thing of kale as well. The ducks love kale. It's their absolute favorite. Blueberry goes nuts for kale. And then I can put some more lettuces in front of them. I know kale's a big hog, but it's okay. All right. And last bed. <laughs> turnips. We'll do turnips and beets. Root vegetables. No pineapple corner either. Thank you, Liana. All right. Turnips, Brussels sprouts. I'll put some lettuce in between the Brussels sprouts as well. There we go. So that's the start of my garden or one half of my garden. Um, we'll see how much food we grow. So wish me luck, y'all. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. Last but not least, another cucumber over here just for Mac. On the other side. There we go. Um, and, you know, we can plant lettuces all in the fronts here, in front of the cucumbers, right at the base, in front of the trellis where they get good shade, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I actually am growing asparagus in the, the herb bed here. Asparagus takes a couple of years. So, all right. So I hope you guys learned a lot. Um, thank you for watching the very first live episode of Freedom Gardens. Of course, like I said, next week, my friend Heather will be joining us. Um, she is 
suffering a jab injury, had to get it for her job. And we are going to try and uh, grow herbs and food to heal her as much as possible. So next week, she's going to sit down with me here in the studio and um, you guys are going to get to know her. She's going to tell you about uh, her experience, what she's gone through, you know, what she's physically experiencing as, as far as jab goes. And uh, we're, we're going to try some different things and see how she progresses. So I'm looking forward to that too. And uh, of course, throughout the week, I'll be making little videos and filming stuff as I work on the garden for, uh, you know, to, to play on this. So every other week we'll do a gardening show and every other week, depending on how she feels, Heather will be in the studio with me. So, and then of course, tomorrow, Sunday, True Spiracy, uh, we are playing all of Miss Vera Sharab's documentary series. Um, Never Again is now global. So that kicks off at 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Of course, um, you can find us now on Twitch only on Cannabis and Combat. Be mindful, we do not have access to the dashboard there. So we can't make any mods or you know anything like that. Um, but we are now also on Odyssey. So go to Patriot Party Pod on Odyssey. You can find us there. And uh, yeah, and then Rumble, Cloud Hub, Pilled, Foxhole. So Red Pill Project. I appreciate y'all. Thank you very much. I don't wanna act too high and mighty cause tomorrow I may fall down on my face. Lord, thank you for sunshine. Thank you for rain. Thank you for joy. Thank you for pain. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. Lord, thank you for sunshine. Thank you for rain. I'm feeling sad. I don't wanna act too high and mighty.
Yeah.